0: This world is partly theater of the absurd. In fact, this world is quite completely theater of the absurd. Um, we might as well enjoy it. But we don't want to stay in it longer than we need to. Ay ay, ay. So those were perfect chants, by the way. Uh, the, you know, this, there's a reoccurring theme that master has. And that's that we need to see behind the veil of the senses to see the reality that exists there. And so, uh, the O oh God beautiful, in the forest thou art green, in the mountain thou art high. You know, I think most of you know that Masters was scheduled to give a talk at uh, Carnegie Hall and someone challenged him. He said, Americans don't have any devotion. He said, oh no, Americans have devotion, great devotion. So here people showed up expecting a talk. They chanted, oh God, beautiful for an hour and a half. And he said, many in that time went into high states. So, you know, Master had that that great power. So anyway, this theme of looking behind the surface, behind the veils, to see God. So um, I chose a prayer that just like is an extension of those chants. You know, there's only one service, Sunday service, and we all give it, it's all, it's all, all of us together. It just seems like um, we take on different parts. But this is the demand for the removal of the veil of illusion. Veils surround me, Father, hiding thee from me. I love the dainty colored veils of roses and daisies, the shining veils of clouds of burning gold, the dark star decked shawl of night. But how long wilt thou remain hidden behind all these veils? I love them because they hint at thy presence, yet still they hide thee. I long to see thee as thou art behind all this cover of veils." Isn't that a beautiful prayer? And it's such a a deep and recurring theme of master. And, you know, master is just God in this form. Uh, I'll, I'll take visible form. And so it's God taking visible form and helping us out of delusion. But let's remember, God has also taken visible form in you and in me. And it's the veil of delusion, the veil of maya, the veil of the senses especially, that keep us from perceiving that. And so Many of these prayers, many of these prayer demands or chants or teachings of Master are urging us or helping us to see behind the veil of the senses because as long as we stay in the, in the world of the senses, things will remain separate. The senses are Maya's delusions way of keeping us in delusion. And so the more we stay there, the, the more we're stuck. One might say that the whole of the spiritual path is to shut off the senses, shut off the mind that's roiled by the senses, and, and you know, the, the mind itself is not our true way of perception to calm that down sufficiently so that we can see with the, with the eyes of intuition behind the seeming separateness, and it has to start by us seeing ourselves as being unified. And if we can do that and hold on to that, then we can go out and we can begin to see the world as being part of one unity, part of of our own self but it's it's a high state to be able to hold on to that. Swamiji (coughs) gave a a very interesting interpretation of this passage with John the Baptist saying, uh, I am not that light, I bore witness to that light. He said what that means is that John the Baptist was in a very high state of consciousness because he was able to perceive Everything is light. But maybe there was just some little veil left, some little uh, lacy doily left in, in front of uh, his consciousness that prevented him yet from becoming that light. Christ had, Jesus had become that light, that's why they called him the Christ. He had become that light, he was that light. But everything is that light we're that light. It's the veil of delusion that keeps us from seeing that light. And the more we um, stay on the surface, the less we're able to perceive the universal tendencies that unite everything. Just take this table as an example. You might say, well, how, how old is this table? Well, that's easy to answer. Uh, Peter Kretzmann made this beautiful table and he made it three years ago. So this table is three years old. Well, let's ask, how old is the tree that grew the wood that made this table? Well, there you probably can figure out, maybe you could even do research what kind of wood it came, where that wood came from. When they, how old the trees typically grow, and so you come up with some figure for that. Well then, how old is the atom that was made the wood, that made the table that Peter Kretzmann put together? (laughs) Well there you're having a little more difficulty pinning it down because the atoms are as old as the existence of the universe but you have to go one step deeper. How old is the consciousness that made the atoms, that made the tree, that made the table? And the consciousness is eternal. Atoms have a day of Brahma and then they stop, but the consciousness that produces them is eternal. And so we're always trying to pull back from the surface of things and see the deeper patterns. Master could present it so charmingly. He, you know, we tend to hold him at a distance a little bit. You see his picture, and it's a little bit. That, but listening to his voice, sometimes it's just he's so charming. He he tells a story about one time he was in um, Scottish Rite Memorial Hall in San Francisco, where we. Uh, gave our very first World Brotherhood Day, uh, I think was, was there. Uh, in any case, years ago, but he was in a Scottish Rite Memorial Hall. It's a big hall, probably as big as this room, holds several hundred people. And he said to the audience, he said, would you like to know how old I am? And they said, yes. He said, yes. And he said, yes. and he said I got guesses from all the way from 37 to 700. (laughs) And he said, "Then I'm not going to tell you. And he said, they just roared. And he said, why should I tell you how old the house I'm in is? This is just a house. I'm either one or I'm infinite, but I'm not going to tell you the age of the house that I'm in. And he said, finally, they accepted that. (laughs) But see, if we stay on the surface of things, we can't get to the reality behind it. And so, partly what we need to do is, in meditation, try to pull back from the senses, the outgoing energy that keeps us, that keeps our consciousness Um, attached to separation. The senses separate, the mind also separates. So if we can pull back from them, calm the breath, calm the mind, calm the senses, then we can begin to see behind these veils of appearance to the reality that's beneath them. You know, uh, Swamiji, Gave this beautiful uh, definition of the ego as a bundle of self definitions, and so you take any one of us and you ask, you know, if if you can't ask, what are your bundle of definitions? Because especially uh, people who've been trained like us, we get, you know, it's like one of those tests that you know what the trick <laughs> question is, and and so we won't answer. But if 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 you just start talking with someone. Uh, Tell me about yourself, and they'll start telling you their bundle of self-definitions. And it's always something that is going to separate them from other people. But that's not who we are. We should trade in that bundle of definitions, which are of the ego. Maybe let's trade them in for the qualities of God, the eight qualities of God. So who are you? I'm light. Who are you? I'm sound. I'm wisdom. I'm joy. And these eternal bundles of self-definitions, since they're qualities of God, then we will begin to identify more and more with God. That's why Swami started giving us spiritual names, was so that we could reaffirm to ourselves who we really are. Am I John Novak, some, uh, from, you know, Novak means new, uh, vak is a, ak is a a person. Nova is new. So somebody came to a village in Czechoslovakia 500 years ago. (laughs) And because he was a newcomer, he was Novak, the newcomer. So am I, am I, am I that? or my jyoti jotish light i like that better so maybe my last name my last name ought to be jyoti so i'm jotish jyoti and davy she she has a lot of love so so uh, let's call her davy prem you know and so each of us could take on a surname that that is one of these uh, eternal qualities And that would help us maybe begin to see behind the surface. But we would forget it quite quickly, so we'll abandon that idea. Moving right on. (laughs) Davy and I are going to, we're a day away from going on vacation. So we're being quite cavalier today (laughs) in, in, in our presentation. So coming back to the theme of trying to get behind the veils of delusion and see God in that. One of the ways, obviously, is to uh, try to meditate as deeply as we can. And then with that meditation, as we feel ourselves more unified with God, more as an expression of God, then as we end our meditation, to try to hold on to that state of consciousness and act with that state of consciousness. So if in meditation I can see a little bit more clearly at least behind the form and see that I'm an expression of light, then my job during the rest of the day is to hold on to that consciousness and act with that light as much as I can. Light is anything that will help support, any, anything that will help, shed the veil, light, as it says in here, I mean, that's the theme that was here, is that God is light, that light comes in, it obliterates any delusion, any darkness. As Master said, that darkness could have been in a room for a million years. You could go down into a cave that hasn't seen light for a million years and you turn on a flashlight and immediately the darkness is gone. So so it isn't a matter of time. This enlightenment that we're after is not a matter of time. It's a matter of turning on the light. And so obviously we try to turn on that light in meditation and to hold that light or any other of these. Master defined meditation as deep concentration on God, on one of the qualities of God. That's why I was using those qualities. So uh, holding on to that sense that we're one of these eternal qualities and then to act with that. As it says to in the Gita, Krishna says to Arjuna, being established in yoga, being established in this universal quality being established in yoga, then go forth and act. And so if we can get established, then we can go forth and act from that higher state. And when we do, it will transform the world around us. Maybe we won't yet be quite able to see behind the veils, be able to see everything as light, but the consciousness will begin to be able to see everybody, maybe not as universal light, but at least not as our enemy. Everybody is a friend. I was just somehow this morning in uh, purification, I was just feeling as everyone came up that this room is just room right now, it's just filled with angels, you know. It's, we're not the people that we seem outwardly. We're, we're angelic souls who are playing a part of the personality and the body that we have. It's just God playing these parts. And because of meditation, because this beautiful ceremony, the consciousness was raised enough. So I was seeing and feeling that as each person came up, not so much individuals, but just God, angelic form of God in that form. Well, if we can establish ourselves at least a little bit in yoga and then go forth and act, we'll begin to see people As friends, see people as potential, see people as their higher self. Wouldn't that change the world if people could do that? Think what would happen in Congress (laughs) if people saw each other as angels, as light. It would, I mean, all these nonsensical ways of acting would begin to go away. And, and so our job, because we're, we're beacons of light, is to try to bring whatever light into the world that we can. First, to try to establish ourselves in it through attunement, through meditation, through proper living, through um, a supportive, uplifted interactions with each other, to do that as much as possible. To consciously do that, not to see division, to consciously see unity and act with that, and we have to act in whatever little circumstance that God has given us. I'll end with this story because it I'm, I just because we're going on vacation, I wrote next week's blog early, and I used this story. I poached it from Mary Kretzman. Who who told it during our our uh, this earlier this week we had our annual meeting of all of our departments our outreach departments and she was saying how difficult it is for she she's the head of the prayer ministry if you don't know how difficult it is to have staff that stays over a long period of time because again and again every day we have hundreds of prayer requests every month. And every day prayer requests come in and some of them have tragic circumstances involved. And some people being exposed to that over and over again, they, they, it, it, it's disturbing to them. They don't want to stay with it. And so so she was saying, this is how I cope with it. And I, looked up the story on the internet that you told, and it was slightly different, slightly different variation. But I'll end with this story. There's, there's a little girl, and she's walking along a beach after a huge storm, and the storm has washed up thousands of starfish, and she's walking along the beach, and she stoops over and she picks up a starfish and gently tosses it back into the sea and picks up another and gently tosses it back into the sea. And after a while, a man comes up to her who's been watching her and said, what are you doing? And she doesn't answer. He says, don't you see there there are thousands of them just throwing a few back? That can't make any difference. What you're doing, it isn't going to make any difference at all. And the girl just stoops up and picks up another starfish and throws it back and looks up and says, it made a difference to that one. And the man starts picking up the starfish and helping. So let's make a difference, one person, one minute, one hour at a time. And if we can do that, it will begin to shed the, shred the veils that keep us from seeing the unity with each other and ultimately the unity with God.
1: Oh the boundaries of heart. I've called out for thy name Searching by the streamlets Of all my silvery dreams I know that thou must come at last flowers of my heart. In sorrow thrills I piped my love, I sadly sing my song to Thee, and yet I know my love must reach Thee. I have to wait On mountain cracks Of high devotion I sat.